this morning. Our text is going to be found in verse 6 through verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Uh, let me tell you um, how good it is to see uh, a good group here on another kind of blustery day. Last couple weeks have been kind of nasty weather-wise. And um, to be perfectly honest, um, I- I'm encouraged to see so many people here. Somebody was asking me this week, like, what is our snow policy for Big Woods Bible Church? You know, like, what, what, do you, what happens on a Sunday morning if it snows? Like, what procedure? The best I can come up with is just drive slow. We're going to be here. might be just a couple of us, but we'll be here. Um, and so let me commend you for your faithfulness. Um, thank you, uh, Dan and the rest, for leading us in worship. I'm encouraged about this text, but this is a heavy text in light of February and some of the darkness and doldrums. It, it deals with the fact that even in difficult times, and I know that even right here in this room with a, a group this size, that there are individuals that are going through challenging times, Um, individually or perhaps corporately as a a family. And God has a very specific plan and a purpose for even those difficult days. We're going to look at that from the truth of God's word this morning. Let's bow our heads. We'll go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his guidance and help um, as we learn and Lord willing grow together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we realize the truth of Scripture, not not unto us, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. And Father, as we approach this time now with your word before us, your perfect word before us, I would pray, Lord, that you would have already begun that process of preparing our hearts to receive the truth. We thank you, Lord, so much that every, every day, every even difficult day has been planned by you, that you have a purpose in it. Father, I just pray right now that we would sense your presence with us. We pray for continued guidance Um, over this local church, your church, that we would be obedient to your call and your will. Uh, We pray, Lord, a special anointing and blessing upon Brian and Rachel and the boys as they head back within the next couple weeks to Papua New Guinea. Thank you so much for their hearts and, Lord, what they have represented as messengers of you, of ministers of the gospel. We ask, Lord, for protection and, and guidance in their travels. And as they get settled and readjusted, we just pray, Lord, that they would be ever on our hearts and that we would be faithful in praying for them and others that are all over the world that are sharing the good news of Jesus. Father, help us to be faithful in our little corner of the world right here. Help us, Lord, to keep our view first and foremost on you and then on others and that you would be glorified. That is our prayer. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We have a tendency in difficult times or in harsh moments to, over, to overcompensate, to over-exaggerate. I was 
cutting vegetables last night, and you know what happens when you slice and you miss the, the carrot and you hit your finger. And I knew it was bad. You know, in my mind, stop, drop, and roll. No, that's the wrong thing. <laughs> Dial 911. No, not that. And I, all of this, I looked down, and, and it wasn't even enough really to bleed, to tell you the truth. It was like, it was there. You know, I was able to get some sympathy from my wife, but not a lot. It seems that, I, I don't know, I just hate pain. I hate to hurt. You know, God in His sovereignty calls us, every one of us, to regularly go through harsh times, hard times. And we look this morning from this author, and we've been reminding you and teaching you about this one who writes these words to us, Peter, an apostle. Peter, he started out, oh, so rough. And yet he becomes one who is so righteous. We talk about transformed lives all the time. We talk about the Word of God and the Spirit of God changing lives. And Peter is one of those lives. He writes this message to the elect, to those that have been chosen by God, to exiles of the dispersion, Jewish Christians who are facing hard times, harsh times, or facing persecution. He talks about those that have been sanctified, you and I, who have been set apart uh, towards holiness. Uh, We've been looking at the fact that this is what a relationship that is bought through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a family relationship. We look at this this subject. Last week we looked at, in verses 3 through 5, the power of salvation and the weight of salvation. It is... It is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's glory. We get a little bit of a glimpse of of the doctrine of eternal security, the, the preservation of the saints. Once saved, always saved. We see the weight of that in last week's message. And next week we look at increased knowledge of salvation, the grace that was to be yours. We'll look at about the fact it was both prophesied and preached. But wedged in between those texts, verses 3 through 5 and 10 through 12, is our text this morning. In all honesty, arguably speaking, it's probably the most practical, immediately applicable into our lives of all of these texts. Here it is. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this, in this, you rejoice. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We're reminded this morning that every single thing, every day, every moment, every bump in the road, every turn and twist happens for a reason. God allows every detail in your life for a purpose. 
We begin here with what I call a couple little points. I call them little light bulbs. They are appropriate to this text, but they're not the, the big idea. The first kind of little light bulb that we see here from our text, it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Here's the first little light bulb, the little idea for you and I to learn from. Pain is temporary. So as we kind of march out into this text, first and foremost, it says, though now for a little while. Seasons. I know it's cold and icy and snow. Seasons are actually quite short. They change four times every year. Life on earth is very limited. Our pain does not and will not last. Pain is not permanent. Trials are temporary. So as we kind of march out into this, regardless of what you're facing, regardless of how, how high kind of the waves seem, how, how, how hard the wind is blowing, understand Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Our light affliction is but for a moment. We've got to have this understanding when we go into difficult times. It's only for a brief period of time. James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this, reminding us that our entire life here on this earth, our whole life, 74.4 years on average, is but a mist. James says this in James chapter 4, verse 14. Our life is but a mist, a vapor. It appears for just a little time, and then it vanishes. I've oftentimes told you, and I remind you, scrape away the snow and see it even today. Go to a graveyard and see that little tiny dash between the year that someone is born and the year that they die. That's it. That's all we've got. First and foremost, pain is temporary. Secondly, another little light bulb that we see here, pain is necessary. It's actually needed as, as important as milk and meat are, as important as to eat your vegetables. Pain is necessary. If necessary, which means at times you and I need to go through tough times. Why? Ultimately, A, to chasten and correct us. We actually need this to steer us the right way through life. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But listen to this, but now I keep your word. You realize that, that God's word actually directs us, but oftentimes we don't pay attention to what God's word has to say until we're hurting in some way. And the author of Psalm so transparently admits, before I went through a difficult time, before I was afflicted, I was wandering all over the place. But now I live every day according to your word. Pain is necessary to, to chasten us, to correct us. Pain is also necessary to grow and to mature us. Paul speaks quite personally in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that he was given a thorn in his side. Now, theologians have loved this text. They have debated and argued, what is this thorn? 
We, we have yet to figure out exactly, precisely what it is, but we know why it was there. Paul admits this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, to keep me from being exalted above measure. Realize that this thorn in Paul's side was actually a gift, as harsh as it was, to keep Paul from what? Perhaps focusing too much on himself. And so pain is necessary to to grow us, to mature us. We don't know what the thorn was in Paul's side, but I tell you what, every single one of us have experienced at some point a season of weakness or exhaustion or frustration, a hindrance in some way towards what we want to accomplish or opposition standing in our way. All of those perhaps could be a thorn that... Paul experienced. All of us can realize we can look back and learn from times that have been very, very hard in our lives. Couple little light bulbs in our text here. Pain is temporary, pain is necessary. Now we get to the important, now we get to the big stuff. Number three, here it is big light bulb. Pain will prove the legitimacy of your faith. Pain is actually with a purpose, and that is to prove the legitimacy of your faith. Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ real? Or is it kind of fake and fabricated? Is your faith in God, or is it in man, in yourself? Peter begins by using this term. He says, what? Various trials. You have been grieved by various trials. It comes from the same idea, the same word varied trials or varying. It's actually connected with the word variegated. Does that ring a bell? In the springtime, my wife will send me to the, to the greenhouse to buy some variegated plants. And I could never figure out, and I had to have this whole lesson from the people. The variegated are the plants that are multicolored. The leaves have many, many colors in them. That's what the word variegated means, which means that God can and, and God will use a variety, any and all kinds of trials in order to correct us, to shape us, to smooth us, to mature us. Well, what could they be? It could be something physical. It could be something emotional. It could be a spiritual struggle or battle. It could be circumstantial. It could be financial. And I began to make a list throughout the pages of Scripture. Who is it in God's Word that has faced physical barriers? Moses claims that he couldn't speak properly. He had some kind of a stuttering or speech impediments. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. Physical barriers. Boundaries and barriers, obstacles, emotional. Elijah and David certainly struggle with depression and the darkness of, of, of dealing with fear. We know that spiritual battles were experienced by Peter himself when he doubted the Lord on more than one occasion. Thomas doubted circumstantial boundaries or barriers. How about Daniel thrust into a lion's den? Is that a little bit of a circumstance that's a bit of a trial or barrier or or, or a time of pain or peril? How about Joseph being sold into slavery by his own brothers or having a giant stand before David? Are these not circumstances all over the place? Financial, 
Job lost everything. Paul at times says, I have nothing. And God always provides. God uses a variety. In doing this, he reveals to us, believe it or not, his closeness. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your trouble, your pain, God actually is revealing how close he snuggles up to us. Sad part is, is that many, many people face trials and they have no idea in life why they're facing it or what they're supposed to do in them. You realize this, it is only when you become a member of the family of God, this blood-bought relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through salvation, that you begin to discover the purpose. Oh, I get it. I know why God wants me to move through this fire. Understand there is a purpose to your pain. Here it is. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, that our faith has actually been designed to survive and persevere to the end. It is intended not to be something that is temporary or fleeting. It reveals itself over the long haul. I had the privilege of leading a young guy to the Lord a number of years ago. His name was, was Joseph. And, and I called him Joey. Joey joined the army and went down to a base in Mississippi. And I remember he had not been there too long, and I got a call from, from Joey. And I remember when he left, he was so excited in his new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called me up and he said, I'm talking to my buddy of mine and I'm, I'm trying to share the gospel with him. And he asked me the question, how do I know that God is real? And, and how do I know that the Bible is true? Now, that's a pretty decent question to ask if, if a young guy is sharing the gospel to his buddy and his buddy says, well, how do you know that God's even real? And I asked Joey, I said, Joey, I said, do you feel that God's real? He said, yeah. I said, do you believe that the Bible is true? He said, yeah, I, I believe. I said, why is it that you believe that God is real and the Bible is true? And the phone was silent, silent. It seemed like a long time. And he said this, I'll never forget. He said, because God has always been there for me and my family in the darkest of times. And I said, go, go tell your buddy that. That's what you have to do. God revealed himself to you. And we learn the presence, we learn the closeness of God, not when everything is going fine. We learn and are reminded about the intimate relationship that God has for us when life is falling apart according to our plan. Look, look closer, listen very carefully. Verses 6 and 7. You have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. You know the process of, of how gold is, is heated up and it is melted and the pure falls to the bottom and all the dross, all the dirt floats to the top. You scrape off the dross. You scrape off the grossness. And what is left is the pure this word trial here carries with it the idea, the testing of your faith. You go through a trial actually to, to prove. We translates it like this, the approval of your faith. The New American Standard says it very well, the proof of your faith. 
We go through a trial to prove, let all the grossness burn off. And what's left is that which is real. There's a purpose to your pain. My older sister, Trish, a little bit of the overdramatic one in the family, was 16 years old, and she fell in love with a young boy down the road. His name was Billy. He was a pig farmer. Apparently, Billy had fallen in love with my sister, and the big business was going pretty well because he bought, and I remember when she came home with this, she just like kind of was glowing and, and gliding into that. She came home with a gold necklace with, with a small diamond in it. We're like, whoa, Billy is serious. Billy, the old pig business is doing pretty well. And you know, young people, about one month later, literally about one month Billy, who had fallen in love with my sister, then fell out of love with my sister. And I remember, oh, I remember just the sounds as she received the news. And in the tears and in the anger and the frustration, I remember she took her necklace, this beautiful necklace, and she opened up our wood furnace and she threw it in there. I'm like, this is not a pretty scene. Now, being the little brother that I am, kind of observing everything, later on I noticed that my sister kind of wandered away and I let that fire die down. I'm thinking a gold necklace and diamond, a little bit of fire is not going to bother that. I remember it. Tim, want to check the fire? No problem. I got it, Dad. And I just let that thing die down. And I remember I took my little, the little poker and I'm digging around the ashes and I pulled it out and I was like, oh, all the gold had burned completely off. The little diamond had melted and it was anything but real. The whole thing was a piece of junk. And I thought about it and I thought that's, Really, how many people, that's how their faith is. The moment things get heated up, it just drifts and melts away. It just tarnishes and it's of no value. It's worthless. Whereas something that's real, fire of a trial, will actually prove your faith and your trust in God. Please understand, anyone can believe in God. Anyone can put their faith and their trust in God when all of life goes well. Anyone can do that. But only a few, a few will believe in God when life does not go well. Our faith in God can never be based on outward circumstances. It must be based on inward convictions on inward knowledge. Trials and troubles will serve a purpose. Why? Because trials and troubles will prove the value, the legitimacy of your own faith. Then it says this in verse 7, so that we may be found to result in praise, in glory, 
and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you this. What, what is your own? This is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. What is your response deep down inside when life doesn't go according to your plans? When you hit the pothole, when you break down, when, when you get a report or a call from the doctor that says, yeah, you're going to have to come back in. We're going to take some more tests. It doesn't look real good. What is your response? How, how do you respond when your husband says, yeah, there's, there's, there's another woman and I'm leaving you. I'm moving out. Yeah, well, we didn't plan that. What is your response when your teenage daughter says, yeah, well, I, I think I have an STD, mom. Well, how do we respond in that? When, when you get a call from, from your son that says, yeah, I'm quitting college, I'm moving in with my girlfriends. You know, these things, these times in our life, do, do you look to the Lord and do you realize that God has a purpose actually to prove the legitimacy? Do you praise God? Even in the midst of that, do you seek to bring glory to God even in the midst of that? That's what we're called to do. The divine design is such that God can give you the ability to praise Him. Matter of fact, thirdly and finally, or fourthly, I should say, and finally, pain will result in rejoicing if your faith is genuine. You've got to be joking me. Look at what it says in Scripture, verses 8 and 9. This rejoice begins in this rejoice. The first part of 6, go down to the latter part of verse 8 and 9. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him. It says you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yet you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. I'm about to die here. I just cut my finger. And, and, and God says, think of this salvation. The outcome of your faith, it says, can produce joy in the middle of suffering. Believe me, believe me, believe me when I say it is only, it is only because of God that one could ever smile in the midst of suffering. It is only because of God. Yet it seems people who seem to have a presence of joy in the midst of a harrowing trial are very few and far between. People who actually display this, it's hard to come by today. A lot of you know that the hymn writer Fanny Crosby from years ago, one of the most gifted, one of the most godly, greatest hymn writers. She, she wrote, to God be the glory. Uh, praise Him, praise Him near the cross, blessed assurance. She lived more than 90 years old and literally wrote hundreds and hundreds poems and hymns. A lot of people don't realize that Fanny Crosby was blind ever since infancy. I read a quote this week. She wrote this. She said, oh, what a happy soul I am. Wait, wait, you can't see the sun come up. 
You can't see the sunset. You can't see the beauty of the sun, sun glistening off of fresh snow. She writes these words, Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I'm resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. She repeats it, Oh, what a happy soul I am. I know we'd step back and say, yeah, but that's Fanny Crosby. She wrote to God be the glory. No wonder she says that. She's a faithful, godly, mature old woman. Do you realize that Fanny Crosby penned those few words when she was five years old? Oh, what a happy soul I am. And you and I complain constantly in the midst of our pain. I don't know who said it, but they said it well. Joy is not circumstantial. It is relational. It means actually you can be content. You can have joy. You can be happy in this life. You can be given the ability to praise God because it doesn't depend upon your outward circumstance. It depends upon who you know, who you are close to. Tim Keller said it well. You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Peter reminds his listeners, these who have been what? Dispersed. These who have been facing persecution. To the exiles, we would say, well, of course Peter needs to encourage them. They're in the midst of misery. Well, well, how how come so few of us can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible if it's so easy for us? How come? According to what we see here, no joy means no love of Him. According to what it says in Scripture, no joy means there's no belief in Him. Therefore, our joy or lack thereof needs to be examined very, very closely in the middle of whatever you are facing, whatever you anticipate to be in the near future, and you're terrified about what may come. When you know who holds you, when you understand the power of God's redemptive grace that keeps you tight and secure in the midst of everything, you can be fine. I was given the privilege, I was given the privilege of literally witnessing this on a daily basis. My mom was, uh, um, my mom was a diver in high school and when she was 17 years old, she, she dove incorrectly and fractured a couple vertebrae in her spine. As a result of that, there was an early onset of arthritis, very, very young. Um, It developed into both osteo and rheumatoid arthritis over the years. She's lived in chronic, constant pain. Constant pain. Her, Her spine has been fused on numerous occasions with pins and rods. Because of the arthritis setting in so young, which deteriorates the the bones, she has literally had every single major joint in her body replaced. She has two artificial knees, she has two artificial hips, and she has two artificial shoulders. We joke about when she goes through security at the airport, 
bells and whistles before she even gets close to it. You talk about the fact if she lives to the rapture, there's just going to be a big pile of metal there. That's where, that's where mama was. What's amazing is that although living in the midst of constant pain, she has never lost a glimpse of her Savior, spoke of him, was faithful in praying and modeling what it looks like even in the midst of hard times. She has remained a faithful example as a loving wife to my dad for 52 years, to her four, grand, her four children, her 15 grandchildren, to her four great-grandchildren and one on the way. And doctors said she'd be in a wheelchair 20 years ago and she's still hobbling around in the cane. But she keeps her eyes on the Lord, knowing what awaits, knowing what's in store. And I have daily lived with that example and been grateful for that. May we hold on to the fact that although there are horrible moments of pain that we face, It's for the purpose of proving whether your faith is real at last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise your name for even difficult times. We praise your name that you sustain us with your grace that is sufficient, with your mercies that are new every day. I thank you, Lord, that you've given to us a hope for the future, knowing that whatever we face here on this earth, is brief, but a moment. God, I pray for strength. I pray for comfort. I pray for peace. And I pray for joy to be in every one of our lives as we simply seek to follow you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.